Horse Racing Heroes is proudly sponsored by Horse Racing Ireland. For more great racing stories, sign up to our weekly newsletter on hri.ie. Horse Racing Ireland, for every racing moment. Hello there. Welcome along to Season 2, Episode 4 of Horse Racing Heroes, the racing podcast with no betting tips or news chat, but with every episode simply being about one great horse or person in racing. And this episode is about Finian's Rainbow, a multiple Grade 1 winner, including the 2012 Champion Chase, where he beat the Great Sizing Europe into second. We're going to hear all about the horse from two people who knew him very well, We've got Connor Murphy, who looked after him when he was in Nicky Henderson's yard. And we'll also hear from one of the greatest jockeys of all time, Barry Garrity, who rode the horse for the vast majority of his races. And just before we begin, a word of thanks to the show sponsors Horse Racing Ireland. HRI are kindly sponsoring all 10 episodes of season two of this podcast. And they also produce some other great racing content, which you can find on their social media channels, all of which are linked in the show notes or you could search their hashtag every racing moment. Without further ado, let's get listening to Barry Garrity and first, Connor Murphy, telling us all about Finian's Rainbow. So Connor, before we chat about Finian's Rainbow, I'd like just I'd like you to give a little bit of background about yourself and how you came to be doing what you were doing around that time. Um, I grew up in grew up in Cork um, on the farm. You know, I wasn't. Uh, I was kind of. We had a couple of race horses, and I was always into the to the horses. And uh, uh, finished school, did the leaving cert, didn't just about scrape by. But um, you know, I, I was always kind of wanting to go work with the horses. So um, I did the Irish National Stud Course um, once I left school, and then I got. Uh, I won the John Durkin scholarship. So that gave you a season with a, an English trainer, either flat or jumps. And I obviously, you know, National Hunt has always been my passion, still is. So, you know, I, I chose um, chose a jumps trainer. So I was sent over to Seven Barrows for a season. Um, I ended up staying two seasons and, uh, you know, learned a lot, enjoyed it, and then decided it was time to move on. So I went to I'm back to Ireland for a year working in Belly McCall stud with Peter Reynolds there. Um, had a good time there, but you know I was always, you know, I, I knew racing is where I went to working, and so I went to America, moved to America in 2006 for two years, and then when I moved back, I was kind of keen to go back to Ireland, and the the one person I stayed in contact with a lot once when I had left Seven Barrows was Corky Brown. Um, and you know, I told him I was coming back from America, and he says, You know, I'd like to have you back here and, and work under me, you know. Um, and and I mean, that was a it was too good to turn down, but at the same time, I was I'd been away from Ireland for a couple of years, so I was kind of keen to to go back to Ireland, which I did. So I got a job working for Noel Mead, and I was only there a few months, and it was when the the economy really crashed, so I had to let a few people go, and I was one of the last in. So I called Corky back up, and I said, "Is that job still there?" Luckily, it was. So I moved back to moved back to Seven Barrows, January two thousand and nine, uh, and you know that's how I ended up back there. 
It's fantastic. Not a bad little safety net to go work for Nicky Henderson. So, uh, okay. So then Finian's Rainbow, he's born in May 2003. Do you know how he ended up in Nicky's? Um, so he obviously Adrian, Adrian McGuire had him um, trained him in Ireland, and uh, he was he was well on his way to winning. He's point to point, and he fell at the last. Um, and Michael Buckley bought him, and he went to Seven Barrows. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I actually, funnily enough, when I went back, when I started back there in January two thousand and nine, he wasn't in the yard, and then. He, there was word word came true one morning he was coming back and the sense of excitement um there was a sense of excitement that that you wouldn't get with many other horses among the lads and Tom Simmons was was assistant trainer at the time and he said to me wait wait until you see this horse this is this horse is very very good so um he came back and, and obviously uh you know I. I suppose he's he's prime example. You should never judge the book by its cover because you look at him and he looks like a horse who wants three miles on heavy ground, but two miles on top of the ground is what he really wanted, you know? Yeah, and so then how, how were your your early experiences with him? Did he live up to that kind of excitement, that kind of hype? Um, well, actually, uh, Tom and, and Ben Pauling, who was the other assistant there at the time, they were kind of riding him um, when he came back in and he went to Kempton and... For his bumper, and uh, you know, coming from Seven Barrows, most you know, majority of horses in their bumpers are fancied, and um, they don't always win. But I'll never forget watching that bumper and thinking, "Geez, that's the that's the easiest bumper we'll ever we'll ever win." Because I mean, he travelled, he travelled great. Everything went smoothly, and he quickened away nicely. Okay, so Barry, uh, Finian's Rainbow, you rode him for the first time in public in his bumper in March 2009. Wondering, was, was there much kind of hype or excitement about him around then? There was a good bit. Um, there generally is the Henderson bumper horses. You know, the, the lads know, they have a fair idea, Corky, the head lad, would be telling you this is one, you know, and you'd be, it'd be you, you may have got to ride and work. I can't say for certain if I had or not, but uh, you would have been, it would have been flagged up to you. Very rare would would one turn up unknown to anyone. So that was my first year in the job. So you'd have gone to Kempton knowing you had a, a very smart run the bumper. Um, then he was put away for, for the year. And it wasn't until the following year that I got on his back. And uh, the first the first morning, first morning I took him up to Gallops. So I thought, yeah, okay, okay. I, I'd be trying to keep this sled. <laughs> and uh, and luckily that's yeah luckily I did and, and the rest um, you know rode him for the, the next three years it was it was I was very lucky over those couple of years you obviously got to know him quite well what's he kind of does he have any kind of quirks or what's his personality like at home even um no I I, I see um, Nicky Henderson described him last week as a, as a gentle giant and that's exactly what he was you know he um he was he was bomb proof he had had a few little quirks but nothing. Nothing bad at all. I mean, um, he was very straightforward. He liked to. He just liked to get on with things, but nothing, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, and uh, no, he was as far as horses go, was very, very docile. Just a, a pleasure to be around, you know. You mentioned that bumper run when he was very impressive. He makes his hurdling debut in November 2009, and I was surprised to see he wasn't actually favourite. I don't suppose you remember who trained the favourite on that day. I do, yeah, Barney Cordley. Um, 
because he was, I remember we were obviously very sweet on Finians. Um, and I, I don't think, I, I, it was fairly, well, at the time we were very surprised that he didn't go off here. But I mean, I think he was nine to four or something. He was a, he was a, a good price, but I think Barney Curley's horse, Sarah, I think he'd been third in Cesar, which, um, and they did lay it into him and they were, they were, I know they were very sweet because after the race he approached um, he approached Nicky and he said, what in the name of God is that? You know, he, couldn't, he couldn't get over they'd been beat by by that much, I suppose. But no, he was he was very impressive that day. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good endorsement if Barney comes up to you and says that afterward. Yeah. <laughs> well you can't get a better one than that. So then the following month he went to the grade one cello uh, at Newbury again. He's third to Rev de Stivilla, but I mean, he's, he obviously proved to be a very good horse. Do you think maybe it was the ground and maybe the trip that day was a bit much for him? Yeah, I think it was a bit of both, Mark. I mean, the ground was atrocious that day, but we always thought that a step up. And when he was over her, when he was a young horse anyway, we always thought that a step up and trip would suit him. But And, and he was still, you know, he was still, even though he was a rising seven in that race, he was still a shell of a horse, you know. He was a, I mean, he was a great big raw horse still. Um and they travelled very well through the race um, and just kind of think he kind of left, might have left his hind end jumping the last as well, if I remember rightly, um, which, you know, just took, probably knocked what bit of energy he'd left out of him. And um, and he ran, he ran well to the line, but there was no way he was, you know, he was at his best that day. But I, I think, I think that trip on that ground at that stage of his life wasn't um, what he wanted or, or, or as he proved later in his career, he didn't want that ground at all, really, you know. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he did travel very well and he was beaten by a, a proper grade one stayer in Rev de Civila, yeah. so no shame in that either. No, it was a good race. His next run then was Ascot in February, wins very easy. I'm guessing that was just kind of putting him right for, for Cheltenham. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, typical, um, you know, obviously... Nicky Henderson is a master at getting them ready for Cheltenham and, and that was just to get his eye in and just to just to get a, a nice easy race into him before Cheltenham and, and it went it went according to plan. I think the ground was I think the ground was all right. I think the ground was nice that day actually. Um I think that was actually the day Sprinter made his race course debut in the bumper the same day. But um no, that, that went that went according to plan and set him nicely, set him up nicely for Cheltenham after that. Um, his final prep before Cheltenham that year was at Ascot. Uh, he won at a short price, and he wasn't the only good horse he rode that day. Can you remember the other? Um, I'm guessing was it was the sprinter in the bumper one sprinter in the bumper was it? Yeah, sprinter in the bumper. I think I rode. Did I ride a few winners that day? Yeah, sprinter won the bumper. Finian's won. Burton Port won the Reynolds Town three. Monny's Garden won the Ascot Chase. So I had four that day. And actually, Ruby, R- Nicky put me on a horse in the Navas Hurdle called Osric. And Ruby won on Lush Life, another of Nicky. So that denied me the five time. So I had, a, I had a feeling that was the day, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so to ride, you ride Freeman's Rainbow and Sprinter Sacker on the same card and two other winners. And it's the it's the one that got away that's bothering you. Yeah, well, I won't say bothering me, but it's definitely, I, I remember it. And it, it, yeah, it took the glass off the day a little bit. But it was, uh, it was a good complaint. It was a good day in the office. He goes to Cheltenham. He runs in the Neptune, now the Ballymore. 
he's only fifth, but looking the form of that race, that was a very good race, wasn't it? Very strong race, and uh, again, I mean, I think, uh, I think if uh, going go to the second last in the Neptune that day, I think he was the only horse still on the bridle, and uh, and I mean, sure, look, you're the, you're the champion hurdle runner up, winning it, and you'd and ask a Gold Cup winner finishing third, would I be right in saying that? Yeah, so Peddler's Cross, right of passage, third. Uh, Reb de Sibylla was second. And then even the giant Bolster was back in sixth. He was Gold That's Cup. Right. I forgot about him. Um, no, it was a very good renewal. But uh, again, I think he, you know, he travelled really well. But, you know, and I suppose we, we were still hoping that another year under under his belt that he, he might... Um, he might turn into that type of staying type, but he was a he was a strong traveller, and he just you know he just um, he didn't stop, but he wasn't he wasn't finishing those races strongly anyway at that stage, you know. Uh, he travelled really well, and like that probably too well, but yeah, I remember I remember going to two out thinking that he could win, but I remember just flattening out at the back of the second last. He probably just physically physically wasn't ready, albeit he was he was seven year old, but he, he was a horse who probably only came to came to his best for his champion chase year. He was at his best then. It took until then. Just he because he was a little bit on edge, he probably didn't finish his races as well as he could. And that was it for the season. No, no entry or punchstown or anything? No, I mean he was um Chasing was always going to be his game, um, so I think they decided to to draw stumps. So he came out of the race fine, but you know, chasing was going to be his game, so they decided to put him away for the year and just um, bring him back in and, and have have a novice chase campaign to look forward to. That novice chase season, uh, he has three runs before Cheltenham and he wins them all very easily. Is there anything you can tell us about any of those days? Um, the, I mean, he was as soon as he schooled over fences, and, and I remember, like, I was going back, going back to saying he was so such a docile, gentle giant. But as soon as the boys got on him to school him, and they took him down, and turned him into those line of fences, he was he was electric. I mean, he was um, he was very exciting to watch schooling, and I think I think Barry Garrity um, was probably the one who was most excited being on his back. Going chasing, Connor kind of explained to me he was just a different prospect once he started schooling over fences. So was, was that exciting for you? It was, and it was a different prospect. But um, on the downside was his enthusiasm was, you know, up a gear again. So he was very much keen. He made the run on his first chase. Um, probably didn't have a massive amount to beat. And he jumped really well. He went back to Newbury again and did the same. But... I was very conscious of, you know, he was blitzing off in front and I was worried about how he was going to finish. He went to Warwick um, and Andrew Tinkler rode him in the Kingmaker. I was in Newbury the same day and I was, was very much keen that he tried to get him to settle. But he, 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 he wound up getting to the front after the fourth or fifth, I think it was. And he won, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking for. I was, I was wanting him to, learn how to settle and we didn't have the option in the previous race because there were lower grade races um, but this was a better race but because he'd made the run the first two times he didn't settle in the next time so then he went to Cheltenham and that was that was his Achilles heel in the Arkham. Yeah I mean it looks 
for all intents and purposes, like he's going to win that arc. You have a nice long look over your shoulder too out. What, what, did you think he was going to empty out a little bit? I was afraid of it because he ran with the choke out. And I, I knew he'd, do, he'd done too much. I remember having this discussion with Nicky back before Newbury. Like it was something I was very aware of, something very conscious of that we, he just needs to settle and needs to settle. Um, and it's because he enjoyed jumping fences so much. It was, it was enthusiasm at this stage. Um, and he was just overdoing it, burning the candle at, at both ends, really. Um, jumped brilliantly, but like that even jumped too well because he was ripping off in front, flying fences and not just giving himself a chance to finish. So he, he was outstayed from the last uh, by Captain Chris just purely because he, he'd done that fraction too much through the rest. Yeah, he in the Arkle, I mean, geez, I thought he was brilliant. I mean, he, he attacked his fences that day and he probably just ran a bit too um a bit too keen. I mean, he was probably too eager. Um he did nothing wrong, jumped and travelled brilliantly. But uh, Captain Chris just outstayed him. It's as simple as that. I mean, the like you said, you know, turning in, we, we look like we we're going well, but but Captain Chris just, you know, he he stayed better than him up the hill, simple as that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, did absolutely nothing wrong. And then thankfully went to Aintree to get his grade one novice chase. Yeah, yeah, I went down to Aintree and, you know, two miles round the entry probably wasn't going to be his cup of tea. Um, but he, he did it well at Gazelle. I think Gazelle came to him at the, maybe the second last, either the second last or the third last. I think it was the second last and he made a, he made a, a bad error and that kind of, you know, Kind of left to us on, on, on Finian's plate, so um, but he deserved to win that grade one as a novice because he did nothing wrong, really. I mean, yeah, the first three, the first three races over fences were were very straightforward for the most part, but he did nothing wrong in the arc to 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 get beat. So it was nice, the horse deserved to win a grade one as a novice, so that was luckily he was able to make him into the entry. Yeah, that is great. And it was a nice day for the Henderson team and for the owner, Michael Buckley. He had another good horse, uh, Spirit Sun, who won that same day. And he'd, he'd been in the Supreme with Sprinter Sacker and Q card. So it's nice for him. That's a good day for Michael Buckley. It was a very good day. I mean, Spirit, Spirit Sun was a um, hugely talented horse. Um, no, he was very impressive. But unfortunately, I think that was the last time we saw him on a racetrack. Mm. Yeah, very sad. Especially when you see how, how his form worked out, he, like you said, would have been very special. Um, it's funny, after the uh, Finian's race, the punditry, I just watching the replay there the other day, and Nick looks as afterward, how could anyone think he'd ever stay two and a half? Because two, he just looks to be bang on two miles. Like That's his ideal trip. Was there any feeling of maybe, maybe we've been running him over the wrong trip the previous season? No. Um, well, I wouldn't say so, Matt, because he, he was... He wasn't as enthusiastic over hurdles as he was over fences. I mean, he just loved jumping fences. And when he, like I say, when you, when when the tapes went up and he saw he saw those fences in front of him, he he attacked him. You know, he was never like that over hurdles. He was, you know, he was much more laid back horse. Um, so I, I wouldn't think there was any regret at, at running him over the wrong trip over hurdles anyway. Yeah, that's. I find that very interesting. Do you, do you think he just relished the, the challenge of the fences and that got him going? I'd say so, yeah, he loved them. Um, it's funny how different horses are. I mean, obviously, some horses don't like, don't take to the island. Other, I mean, he, like I say, he um, he couldn't he couldn't get over him. Um, he couldn't get to him quick enough. Anyway, he was he was mad for a lot. 
<laughs> it's great. I'm always very interested in how horses can perform so differently in those different disciplines. But uh, that was it. That was it for his novice chase season. Did he always stay in Nicky's for the summer, or did he? Would he go anywhere else? No, he went to um, I think all Michaels and I think Finians. Finians went to um, Charlie Vigers and, and Tracy Vigers, um, which was close by, so it was nice. But uh, more a lot, a lot of the horses from Seven Barrels went there anyway. But um, it was nice they were in far away, so we were, we were able to go see him. But um, oh, they they summered great there. They they really came back and looking fantastic when they came back from Charlie and Tracy's. So in open company, then he makes his seasonal reappearance in the the Desert Orchid at Kempton at Christmas. So it's quite a, a late start to the season. Was there any any reason for that? Yeah, do you know, Mark, he was actually, um, you know, the Tingley Creek was the plan, obviously. Um, well, I say obviously, but um, you know, you know, I suppose if you think of a Queen Mother horse, majority of people like to start off in the Tingley Creek, and we were we were very excited about seeing him. Um, go for that race, you know, because it's such a it's such a jumping test send down. You know, the thought of him going over the railway fences down the back was was really exciting, um, and that's what that's what the plan was. But about I'd say four or five weeks before the Tingle Creek, he he had a high temperature, and um, you know whatever whatever little virus he had, he, he knocked him knocked him back um, for a week or two anyway. And, you know he'd done he'd done a good bit of work beforehand, but so we were we were still planning and going for the Tinkley Creek, and he just wasn't working. You know he was he was a real good workhorse um, when he was on song. He just wasn't working great, and we were still hoping he might he might turn the corner before the race. But the Tuesday before the race, he worked, and it was just not him. So, um, so Nicky decided to to give it a swerve. Um, so we were all. We were very disappointed, actually, because, um, like I said, we were really looking forward to, to running him in it. But uh, actually, I remember um, taking him for a canter the morning of the Tingle Creek and he just, he was very flat in himself. So it was, you know, even though we were disappointed, there was no question it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I can imagine if he'd sat on his back and he was at somehow suddenly flying that Saturday, he'd be going, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And of course, that's why... You know, every I suppose I didn't ride. I didn't ride the work any work on him because obviously it was a bit too heavy. So usually Barry or David Bass were his were his work riders. Um, but I mean, I knew I knew myself on a day to day if he was how he was, and he, you know, every day you get up on him, you're hoping that he's he sparks into life. But it wasn't to be. in, you know, luckily about. About a week or a week or so later, he kind of came to life. And about ten days after the Tingle Creek, uh, he just the bastard said to me, "Go up, you know, let him let him do a screen canter up the grass gallop." And JC, he he, uh, he tanked he tanked through there with me. And he was, you know, he felt great. Um, so I was onto the onto the desert orchid, which uh, again two miles round Kimpton, probably not his cup of tea, but he, you know, we had to start somewhere. Yeah, you did, and I mean, he goes off. He's 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 heavily odds on. He's four to eleven. He looks to be cruising, and then four from home, he makes a shocking mistake. And even when I was watching the replay, I was thinking, how how is this horse going to win after that? Yeah, no, it was he he for some reason he was so much more settled. His second season chasing, and but we weren't to know that going to Kimpton that day, um, and I remember. Um, 
I remember going to Kimpton that day and Barry Garrett and Jerry McGrath were in the car with me and, and you know, we were kind of saying, well, wishful thinking is in there, so he's going to set a solid uh, tempo because he had made he had made all a few weeks earlier in the Tingle Creek. He'd gone off like a scarlet cat, actually, I think. So we were kind of expecting the same thing and it didn't happen. You know, he he held them up and, and, and Finian's made it, but it was a very... It was a very easy, easy gallop and he was relaxed and everything was going well. And I suppose, um, I think Waza Dunwee and Wishful Thinking kind of uh, going to the second last or the open ditch down the back came up on his outside and he jumped it well. And then the next one, all of a sudden, he made that mistake. And it was, um, it was a bad mistake. No, I mean, to lose a big horse to lose his hind end like that, that was... Um, I mean, he he did well to stay up, actually. Yeah, not not just to stay up, but then even even going to the he you know he gets a bit of momentum back, but even going to the last, you're thinking there's no way he's going to get up to win. Like, well, I think I was um, I was you know he made the mistake and and uh, he's under cortels turning in, but Barry's letting him fill up all the time, so um, he's not he's taking his time on him. But I remember they jumped the third last and didn't the front two kind of went down but you know I, <laughs> I was up in the stand glued to the ground and I was dejected I was thinking oh Jesus um, and uh, you know with that, like I say Barry was just letting him fill his lungs and and, and I mean going to the last he I, I'll never to one I'll never get over his jump at the last because he, he did need a big one to win the race really but I mean geez, he let some lap out of him the last and um and it was kind of he nearly he, he nearly landed out upside and it was that good a jump, you know, it was unbelievable. But um, yeah, it was a big, uh, it was a fair performance and a, a big relief as well at the same time. But um, the part of the rest I remember most was his mistake at the fourth last, and um, he was he was all bar on the floor, and uh, the leaders got away from us then around the turn in, and I just sat and waited. And just he was he was one of those horses you could really feel him fill his lungs and know when he's ready to go. So I'm, I was coming down the straight in Kempton and I'm nursing away. I'm not going for everything. I'm a few lengths down, but I'm just waiting for him. And next thing he started to fill up, I think it was on the run to the last. And I'm a couple of lengths down, even jumping the last. And he absolutely flew it um, and got up and won. won he won... And he got up in the last couple of strides, but he actually won well. But it was just because he, he was that kind of horse. I mean, you knocked the stuffing out of him. You you had to sit and wait, and but you'd feel him fill his lungs. And when he was ready to go, off he went. Yeah, it, it's actually amazing to watch that back. When he made that mistake, I, I found it hard to believe he gets back up to win. But <laughs> you mentioned him filling up his lungs and then coming to the last. I mean, like you said, he absolutely flies it. Was that a bit of an all or nothing? Like I just I met it on a, a very long stride. But because he had filled up, I had all the horse in the world. I remember just going to meet them on a mad long one, but he was full of he was full of life again. And he just pinged us and the momentum got him by where if he met it on a bad side, but I was coming, I think I was coming with coming to the last with so much momentum and so much horse that no matter what stride I was meeting on, I was going to fly it. Um, and he was very quick and slick to jump like that on a when he was you know, on song, if you like. 
But um, yeah, it was a good buzz the way he just flew the last thing, got up in the last couple of strides. And he's even half cheeky at the lane. Next up was the Clarence House, the grade one at Ascot. Um, Finian's Rainbow and Al Faroff are joint favourites. And in the race, it's Finian's kind of, he sees, sees off Al Faroff and then kind of gets mowed down, sort of mugged by Summersby. What, what was, the, what was the, the debrief or the verdict of that one? Uh, we were very disappointed. Um, I mean, we thought, we thought um, he was in good form, but he, you know, the mistake at Kempton had, you know, he was a bit sore after it and needed a lot of physio. And, um, you know, we, we thought he was right, but there was no question he wasn't at his best that day. Um, I mean, no, no question whatsoever. And um, I suppose we were, we were very disappointed, but... You know, we'd I think we'd seven or eight weeks to 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 the Queen Mother after that to to get him right, and um, you know, we were you know I suppose even though we were re I, I was I was gutted leaving there that evening because I, I couldn't believe he got beat, but you know we knew he wasn't at his best after, and then I suppose you know. It goes back to uh, to Nicky being so good at having them right for Cheltenham. You were hoping that he'd he'd work his magic, and um, and you know at the end of the day he was he was still second and, and beat a lot of good horses. And I think you know I think you I think the two Kempton horses was it and we and wishful thinking around the same race, and I think they were they were ten or fifteen lengths further behind us this time. So you know I was. Looking back, it wasn't too bad a run, but we were disappointed to get beat. I, I blame myself that I, I got there too soon. Um, we rode, we, we, we settled in again and we rode a normal race and we led, we led um, from three out, I think it was, three or four out. Um, and it just got wore out in the finish by Summersby. And no, we, we, we won the champion chase that day because we knew Right, we don't need to be getting there too soon. So that that's where the the the, the plan was hatched to take our time. Well, not to take our time in the championship, but just to delay the challenge because because he was a horse who ran with enthusiasm. Again, when he was up at that level, um, you needed to conserve that finishing kick, and that's where we, as I say, you, we you learn more in defeat. So we learned that day that what way to ride him in the championship. How how is that preparation before Cheltenham? Is it lots of physio? Or like, what are you doing with them to get them to get them ready? Oh, he had a lot of physio, yeah. But um, but obviously with the, with the more we had a lot more time. I think there was only, I think there was only three and a half weeks between Kempton and 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 Ascot, and now you'd seven seven weeks or so, and um, so you'd uh, you know give him a bit of time to get over the Ascot race before you drove on again, but he'd. He had plenty of physio in between, and um, we were we were very happy with him. Yeah, I mean, he his preparation went very smoothly as, as far as I can remember. Um, David David was very happy with him, and then Barry did his last work on him, um, and he said he came back. He says he's ready to go. Yeah, I remember he we worked really well going there, um, and yeah, it was sweet on him. Obviously, respected size in Europe it just depends what he brought to the table. But I was fairly confident we had the rest covered. Um, and saying you're being the, the reigning champion um, but we knew that he was better in himself than he was going to Ascot and we also knew what way to ride him in the champion chase so 
um, yeah, it was definitely, we, we, we knew going there we had a big chance. We were, we were next best to size in Europe, so it was, it was whether we could beat him or not. Sizing Europe was odds on. He was the defending champion. Uh, your fellas four to one. And the two of them kind of, it's between the two of them from a long way out, isn't it? And it's, I've seen you describe it as a, as a day you'll never forget. Yeah, well, I remember when Simon Seagull and Neptune and then Bob's won the RSA straight after. And I remember saying, geez, we're never going to win three great ones in a row here, are we? And uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, everything, I suppose, the, the first, I think, um, Cotto Stone went at the first and then Wishful Thinking had that bad fall at the fourth. So I was in the Vintville opening to the race and then, like you say, from, from then on, I was kind of sizing, sizing Europe and Finians really because um, sizing Europe kind of set a good old gallop himself after that and Finians Rainbow seemed to be the only one laying up with him. Even Big Zeb there, who'd won it two years before, I think was back in third um, and they were just kind of struggling to keep up the whole way, you know. The top of the hill, Andrew... Lynch kicked on a bit and, and uh, sizing Europe and I think Barry feels that's that that was the the winning and losing of the race. Um, he just said he just sat uh, he just sat in Finians and waited and then um, I mean he jumped the third the third last or what turned out to be the second last. Then he nearly landed upside him and he was back in the bridle and. Then turning for home, I mean, there was wicked confusion going to the left. I mean, they both jumped the second last well, but sure, geez, I, I didn't even know. I was I was there and I didn't even know what was happening. I mean, the last, it was very confusing. Um, I, I felt uh, I felt the best heart one in the day, but um, a lot of people disagree. But I mean, when you, when you have a favourite like that, like sizing Europe, was he might have probably odds on, was he? Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah when you have an odds on favourite like that getting beat, people are going to be, they're going to feel... You know they're going to feel aggrieved, but uh, I'm—I've no doubt the best parts on the day one, and that um, was great. I mean, geez, I, I won't ever, like I said, I won't ever forget that day. That was that was magic. Yeah, I can imagine. So, like you said, the last fence was omitted, and I have seen comments on like Twitter or YouTube saying, you know, if the last fence wasn't omitted, sizing Europe would have won. But when I was watching it, Finian's rainbow makes ground up at the last two fences. You know, he's—it's not like he's a worse jumper or anything. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd be, uh, I'm um, like, just look, from me looking at the race alone, um, the two things I'd, I'd, I'd point is, Barry's never been a, you, you can always tell with Barry Garrett, he, well, when he was working, when he, when I was in, in Seven Barrows anyway, and you'd a few quid and a half, you'd always be watching his body language, you know, and he was still, he, you know, he hadn't gone for his stick or anything at that stage, and he was still happy enough to nurse him along, so that'd be one, and then the second one, I mean, I felt Finian's rainbow got the worst of, the, of it, to be honest, because that last pump sizing Europe um, gave to get out, he, he, you know, he knocked Finian's out further, so I mean, I suppose that, that was the way I saw it, and um, but uh, again, I suppose the bottom line for me is Barry'd be he'd be very honest after a race, which uh, whether you and if he came back in and said we got lucky there, you'd know you got lucky. But he said no. He said if we if we get to jump the last, we'd have won easier. He he settled beautifully again at this stage. He, he learned to relax and jump, and when he was relaxed, he could jump really well. So I remember from the water jump down the back, he was just following Cesar Europe, who was bringing us a good. Good even pace, um, 
but I was just able to sit and jump. And his jumping was just keeping me in touch. And size in Europe was a brilliant jumper as well. But I'd say the two of us were probably stretching the field with our jumping, but I was never out of, out of my comfort zone um, until size in Europe flew the fourth last. And he seemed to open up around the top of the hill. And I remember just going to the top of the hill, swinging up around the top of the hill. And Andrew Lynch extended down the hill. And I just thought to myself, if I go now and be that if I tried to stick with him, I'm beaten. So I just sat and waited and um, just sat and freewheeled down the hill to the third last. And I remember Andrew missed the third last and Finian's flew it. And he just landed at the back of the third last and he filled his lungs straight away, blew out, filled his lungs. And I said, now we're in business. And just from there, I was sitting, sitting, waiting down the hill, into the straight, jump the second ass, I'm still waiting. I'm just sitting, the longer I delay it, the better my finishing kick. Um, and then we see the Andrew goes to bypass the last. And I can't really see because he's, but first he pulls right, which is in my line. But there's no, there's no arrows on the fence. There's a couple of arrows on the inside. There's a flag being waved over the rail. There's whistles blowing. There's a lot of confusion in our minds, if you like, because we've just been presented with this in front of us and we to try and figure out in about, I'd say, less than two seconds. So Andrew goes to bypass and I go to bypass with him and then he switches back in and then he switches back out. But by the time he'd switched back out, I had switched back in and we're kind of half bumping each other. But at that stage, we were bypassed um, and neither of us really knew. So we just we just went with it. Um, but like that, I knew what I was doing as a guard's timing, and I waited. I'm hands and heels, hands and heels, and probably around 100 yards, 120 yards to go. I, I let him loose, and he just had that finishing kick to go and win. Yeah, so when you say you weren't entirely sure, was there a part of you crossing the line thinking you shouldn't have bypassed the fence or something? I didn't know if we jumped it, we'd have gone to the lane with the same feeling, and we would have been disqualified, both of us, if we had jumped us. Um, so I owed Andrew. A good drink out of that one, I suppose. But um, it's uh, yeah, it was a strange one. We didn't know if we were going to be disqualified for what we did had done, or as I say, what would have happened the other way around. Robert Power, who was about he was 15 lengths back in third. Remember, he came into us afterwards and he said that he jumped in the second last and he could see he had the time to figure out, and he's not under the race pressure, he knew we're bypassing. And he was praying, well, not praying, but he was saying to himself, if the two boys jump the last, he's going to bypass, he's going to win a champion chase. What a way to win that would have been. Okay, it's amazing. I, I, I didn't think of that. And there's a bit of debate. Some people kind of thought if, if the last hadn't been omitted, that Sizing Europe would have won. But I, I, I believe you don't think that's the case. No, no. The, the race was won and lost top of the hill. Um, when Sizing Europe stretched on and missed her last, that was where it was decided. It was, no. But it, and it would like Kempton, if I, I was coming to the last with so much horse, it didn't matter what straight I was going to meet it on. I had momentum, I had a horse, I had, you know, so I beat him a length of the line. So I, you know, if he if he jumped it well, I'm sure Finians would have jumped it. If he didn't jump it as well, he still wouldn't have he wouldn't have got a length of me. So no, there was there was there was only one winner in the day, but it was the top of the hill to turn last was the decider. And I remember my, my brother was in the owners and trainers bar watching it. And when Andrew kicked down the hill, Jamie Spencer turned to my brother and he said, your man wins. So he, he, he could read it straight away. He knew what was happening. Now that Cheltenham 
a fantastic one for the Henderson team. I think it was, was it seven winners? Seven winners, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable, yeah. But a, a particularly amazing week for you personally. Uh, I don't know if you're sick telling the story, but I'm going to have to ask you to tell it one more time. Yeah, yeah. It was, geez, it was, uh, look, the horses we had that year were, were unbelievable. And, and um, yeah, I, I did a bit before Christmas. Um, I suppose the main reason I did it before Christmas was because Sprinter was, Sprinter Sacker was going to Kempton on the 27th. Um, taking on Peddler's Cross, who who was favoured for the article at the time. And I mean, we were fairly confident that he'd um he'd be I mean, listen, we never sure no one ever no one ever knew he was gonna turn out to be what he was, but we were we were very confident. Um so that was the kind of the main reason I did the bet. He was still six to one, I think. So what was what was the bet? It was a five fold, wasn't it? Five folds, yeah. Uh, Sprinter Sacker in the article, Simon Sig in the Neptune. Bob's worked in the RSA, Finians in the Queen Mother and Riverside Theatre in the Ryanair. Um, Some nerves watching that Ryanair. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, the reason I put Riverside in actually is because he had um, he'd fractured his pelvis in the previous year's Ascot Chase and he came in late and he looked unbelievable. He was over in Ireland with the Gleasons and did an incredible job. I mean, he looked unbelievable um, when he came in because he was always a horse who was hard to keep weight on but he came in looking fantastic and my hope was that or my I suppose I was kind of thinking well he's not going to be ready to have a prep race and he was a horse who went very very well fresh I mean GC went he was a different it was night and day almost when he was fresh and when he wasn't uh, and so I, I put him in thinking that he'd go straight to the right now and win it off a, a 13 month layoff which sounds sounds crazy but I mean, I just, I thought that that was the main, that, that was the main reason I put him in. And I mean, he came back, he actually came back in the Ascot chase and jumped and travelled fantastically, like unbelievable that day and, and won easy. But I was thinking, well, he won't be, he won't be winning any right now, no. But, but no, I was listening, it was incredible. And I mean, with Simon Sieg there, I mean, that horse, the, the talent, that horse, had, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain, I suppose. The best example I can give you, the Finian's Rainbow last, Finian's Rainbow's last work before the Queen Mother that year, Barry came back in and handed him to me. And he says, yeah, great, he's ready. And I said, are you happy with him? He said, very happy. He just he just felt like a hearse after riding the grey lad before him. And the grey the gray lad being Simon Sieg. I mean, that's how, when you're, when you're saying the second favour for the Queen Mother felt slow, um, after riding Simon Sieg, that'll tell you how much uh, how much we taught him. I mean, he was uh, he was a phenomenal horse, and I know he won the Neptune, and he came back and he won the Arkle. I think he won a Grade One of the entries, well over her Navis Hardy year. But is the the talent he had was for, I mean, he could have been anything, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. I mean, a lot of horses don't fulfil their potential, but he was he was a special horse, and then of course Bobsworth was Bobsworth was. He was a legend and he was very reliable. Him and Simon Sieg were probably the two closest to not running in their races. Bob's work because he, um, he'd run into Reynolds Town um, as a prep and he just didn't took, you know, he put his life and soul into every race and he, he didn't come out of the race the way we wanted. And he was, Nicky did a great job getting him there um, because he was, he was up against it with him. No, he was, you know, he wasn't, it was only about 
probably a week or ten days before the race that he really, you know, we were right, right. He's he's good, you know. Um, and of course Simon Sieg, he was so he was very close to switching him to the supreme. Very very. I mean, we we'd look round every evening. Um, and Nicky Corky, myself, and this Ben Pauling, Ben Brisbane, and Nick Bishop, and there was there was a considerable amount of time spent in Simon Six Stable every evening with with the, with the governor thinking, well, you know, he he was he was very very close to switching to the Supreme, and Barry was adamant that he go he should go Neptune because he just felt. He missed, he was a good jumper in the hole, but he just missed the odd hurdle. And he said if he did that in the Supreme, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't get back into it. Whereas the Neptune needed more time, obviously. And, and as well as that, so I'd say the, 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 the bottom line was we had Darlin's, he was favoured for the Supreme. And I think that was probably, the, I'd be convinced if, if Darlin wasn't in the Supreme, Simon Sigmund was probably going to go in there. Um, so we listen. Got very, very lucky, and uh, no, it was it was it was brilliant. So thankfully, they all ran in the races you'd hoped they would. Was it? It was a million quid. You, you, got? yeah. It did enable you to to change your life, basically. <laughs> it did, yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously, I was kind of, you know, there was only a few people knew that I had planned and and moving to America um, at the end of the season, and this came. I suppose it came at the right time. Um, I was uh, listen very, very, very lucky. You know, no question. Uh, I, I can't, uh, I can't ever complain about bad luck after that happening. So you make your own luck, Connor. Uh, we'll get back to Simon's or to Finian's rainbow for a second. Um, he went to Aintree next, and you mentioned wishful thinking running through the rails at Cheltenham. Am I right in saying Finian's did something similar on the way to the start at Aintree? Um, he uh, the post ray was very fresh in the in the in the parade that day, um I was on his off side and Michael Kassan, his lad was on his was on his was on his right side and um I don't know what happened. All I remember is there was a gap in the rail and we were going through there and I don't know whether he swung his hind end in towards at the last second or what. But um yeah he he he, he got away from Michael anyway and he uh Barry did well to sit on and <laughs> that's all I, I was glad he stayed on. But you know I'll never forget saying to his one horse that it wouldn't affect that kind of thing. You know, it might it might affect other horses, but he he was just a horse who wanted to get on with it, simple as that. I mean, that was you know he wouldn't have that wouldn't have bothered him at all. Like that, you know, get worked up. He was he was he was a horse who was on edge. But um, as I was being let go, you you were let out of the parade ring and you walked down the course towards the water jump. But you're not on the course; you're on the sands shoot if you like which runs alongside the track and then you turn right to cross the track at the water jump and canter down around the bend on the chase track but as he was going across he took a, a rush for the rail I think it was on the far side and ran into the rail and I think I was hanging off him and got him back out and away he went but he was he was wired but wired in a, in a, in a good way in that he was he was just in such good form and um, Nicky would do very little with them as most trainers would between Cheltenham and Aintree, they wouldn't even do a bit of work. So he would have been, all the emphasis on him would have been just to have him fresh for Cheltenham. So I'd say the work he had done was next to nothing, which for that reason, he was off his head altogether. So um, he, uh, he was, he, he won really well that day. Like that settled nicely behind the pace and, and quickened from the second last and, and won well. Yeah. He won by seven lengths, possibly, possibly one of his best performances even. 
Yeah, you could say that. You could. Um, but I suppose beating size in Europe in the champion chase mm. is probably the strongest level of form because he came back the following year and and albeit he was well beaten in the champion chase, he ran sprinter close in the Punchstone Champion Chase. So he was he was a very good horse and he was probably he, the fact he got beaten that day by by Finian's Rainbow and then ran into Sprinter Sacra, he was probably unlucky to run into a couple of good horses too, or he, he could have been if in a different era, he could have been a three-time champion chase winner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that day would prove to be Finian's Rainbow's last win. Uh, things kind of went against him the following season. He bumped into Sprinter Sacra at one point. Uh, and his final run was in the 2013 Paddy Power Gold Cup uh, when he was pulled up. I'm guessing he hurt himself that day, and that was that was it. Um, yeah, he 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 was down to handicap company at that stage. He he'd fallen short, if you like, at the top level, and we were trying to figure out where we got him. And it was decided should look at we will stick our toe in the water, try him in a handicap, and see how he goes. Um, but yeah, he 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 weakened quickly going to four out. Um, and pulled him up so you know he went he went around unfortunately um, and that was it but um, he was a brilliant horse and he probably among among so many great horses he wouldn't get be recognised but um, we had some brilliant days with him and you know he, he could very easily have won the Arkell Chase and he settled better and you know he he, he, his, he has a good CV but he was he was a very good horse and he, he was probably he could have done more if, if, if things had unfolded differently. And the fact he ran into Sprinter in the following season didn't, uh, didn't really help his case. He had his last run in the Paddy Power Gold Cup at Cheltenham in November 2013. And then he ends up heading out to you. So could you talk, me, talk to me about how that arrangement came about? Yeah, so he, he pulled up in the Paddy Power. He got a, an injury that kind of, you know, subsequently ended his career. Um, not life-threatening, but, you know, it was enough to end his career. And... Um, he went. He was. He was hunting. Then um, I think he was up with Charlie Vikers again for a while, and, and then you know, I suppose Michael Michael called me one day and said, "Would you be interested?" And I says, oh, "You don't have to ask me twice." So I was. Yeah, I was. We we, we got him over here, and he. Um, yeah, it was it was great to have him here because I, the night of the Queen Mother, I said to Michael, "When this horse retires, I'm taking him." You know that, don't you? Yeah. Um, we were full of champagne, so there was probably a lot of deals done. But um, no, I, you know, obviously when I moved over here, that kind of changed as regards getting him straight after he was racing. But I was, I was delighted to be able to get him um, here the last three years, and it was, uh, you know, he was just uh, he was being turned out. We rode him a little bit, but he was most of the time he was being turned out with another horse mine um, that's retired as well, and, and they they had a great time together and. Uh, yeah, I was just, you know, obviously last week, it was unfortunate. Um, look, uh, something you can't, you can't control the colic when a horse colics. I mean, you're, you're lucky most of the time, but sometimes you're not. And unfortunately, he, um, he had a bad bout of it, and there was nothing we could do, you know. Yeah, so he passed away from colic at the age of eighteen, uh, out in your place, um, and you're out in Kentucky, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think even. Because it's it's a big deal to travel a horse, so for you to take a horse all the way out there just because you you love him, basically, I think says a lot about what you thought of him. Oh yeah, listen, he was. Um, no matter what job you're in, and no matter how much you love it, you always have bad days. But any uh, any morning, I got up on him in seven barrels. I tell you, it was 
it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I just felt like I felt like one of the luckiest people in the world because he was JC was he was just a pleasure to be on, you know. Um, he was, and of course, it might sound strange now that I'm that I'm training flat horses, but I'm I, I'm I'm uh, I have a fierce soft spot for big old fashioned chasers with with big heads, and he 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 ticked all those boxes. I mean, he's um, like I say, you look at him, and I, I saw last week. Uh, Nicky Henderson said he's got um, seven horseshoes from the seven winners in 2012, and he's as twice his his shoe is twice the size of anyone else. I mean, that's he's. Um, but he was yeah, he was a pleasure to be around, and just a, a just a kind horse. You know, I wouldn't ever wouldn't ever do anything bad for to anyone, and just uh, yeah, know we were we were thrilled to have him here the last few years. And fair play to Michael Buckley too. I mean, he. He split the cost with me to get him all over here, so uh, you know I was I was grateful for that too. You know, yeah, that's a nice touch from Michael. I'm sure it was a a tough day when he he passed away last week, but by the sounds of it, you gave him a very a very nice uh, last couple of years out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was tough. No, I won't I won't deny that. I mean, sure, I suppose you um, obviously he was involved in in my bet, but that aside, I mean, I mean he gave me. Um, I suppose you you start believing your stuff different things, but he was he was the one horse that uh, he'll always be probably the top of my list of favourite horses anyway. You know, um, just to uh, like, again and and to watch him run as well. He was geez, I, I loved watching him run when he was attacking his fences because there was no there's no better sight, you know. But he was no uh, we were we were sad to lose him, but. 18 is a good old age too, I suppose. So. Absolutely. And then I'm just, are there any stories I haven't given you an opportunity to touch on or any, any other days you can remember that you can tell me about? I did have, I'm not, I'm not a superstitious person at all, actually, but I did have a fierce superstition about him because I used to only ever go racing when he was racing. So, because me, me and Corky would be checking around the legs every evening and luckily Corky was kind enough to let me go um, when he was racing. But, um, I had a wicked superstition that I had to drive to the races when he was running, or else he wouldn't win. It sounds weird, like, but it, it, it's it's unbelievable. But because I, I drove, I drove to Newbury and Warwick, and then I didn't drive to the Arkle, and he got beat. So I had it in my head that I had to drive. So and then the following season, uh, the following season, I remember going to Ascot, and the governor said to me, "You come with us," and I said, "No, I have to drive." He says, no, you come with us. And I went with him and he got beat. So <laughs> just, I drove to I drove to Cheltenham and entry. And it's funny because when I got to the races, Michael Buckley come up to me and say, Did you drive? <laughs> you know, yeah, it was it was strange. And like I say, I'm not I'm not a superstitious person at all, but when it came to that, I was very superstitious. So um but no, like I said, I was just very, very lucky to be a part of a horse like that. And um and he, like I say, no matter what, I'll that Queen Mother Day, especially the Champion Chase, I'll never forget that day as long as they live. That's brilliant, Connor. Uh, very well said. And just finally, uh, you yourself, how are things going for you out there with the training operation? Yeah, not too bad. I don't have the embarrassment of riches as uh, as, uh, as I was used to working with um, before. But no, it's going well. I mean, we we had a couple of good years, and um, you know, we we've had a few decent horses winning Group Twos, and you know, luckily to be placed in a Group One or I think yeah, 
played wide open a second in a group one there and Keane a couple of years ago. But yeah, it's 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 going well. I mean, same as everyone, I suppose, under the current climate is just kind of you know survival. But um, yeah, we we'll we'll keep chipping away and I'm sure hopefully we another we'll we'll have a good horse walk in the barn someday. I'm sure we'll see you at Royal Ascot in a couple of years at one will we? <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be nice, Harry, to go back and win one of the Royal Ascot. But uh, yeah, I'm sure look. You never know life. You never know what life will try to. Indeed, uh, Connor, that's it. Um, I can't thank you enough for that. Really enjoyed hearing all about him. Um, just thanks so much. You've been very, very generous with your time, so I really appreciate it. Oh no, thanks very much. No, it was great. Great talking to you. Okay, and there we have it. Massive, massive thanks to Connor Murphy and Barry Garrity, two absolute gentlemen very generous with their time and I hope you enjoyed listening to them as much as I enjoyed speaking to them. Thank you also to the show sponsors Horse Racing Ireland. Without them this series just wouldn't be happening so please do go and check out the links in the show notes to follow their social media channels and also my own Twitter so you can get the updates on further episodes of the show. And now if you do enjoy this podcast I ask that you find it in your heart to do me a quick favour. Firstly, please do subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be really great if you could write me a review on there. And finally, any retweeting, liking or sharing on social media, telling your friends, really does go a long way and would be truly appreciated. Anything I can do to help grow the show. The next episode will be released on the 18th of August and it is the glorious and long-awaited return of Brendan Duke to the Horse Racing Heroes podcast. If you heard Brendan's episode in season one, you'll know he is just incredible to listen to, and I won't need to convince you to tune in again. If you haven't heard that one, I really encourage you to scroll back and have a listen. It's season one, episode seven, and trust me, you will not regret it. Brendan is back this time to discuss a horse of his called Mr. Benedictine, so make sure you don't miss it. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.